So I think the subject is about birth, the spiritual aspect of birth, how it takes place. Actually, I have often wondered, people say that death is a mystery. I feel life is, or birth is a greater mystery because uh, if we understand birth, all right, death will be more or less easy to understand, either as a natural consequence or as a process of life. But why there is something instead of nothing? The scriptures tell us, the Indian scriptures at least, there is a very beautiful seed idea within it. The one wanted to become the many, Ekohambhavishyami. So that's how the process started. Whole creation started. <coughs> because we should not think that birth is not just the birth of a baby in a house, it's the birth of creation. It's connected with that. And with the first stir of creation, moving further and further and further, we have reached a point where we have life, living forms, babies, human children, child. But the original impulse is the same, the one wanted to become the many. In other words, there is something of the one in everything. Every particle of creation contains something of the one. But in human beings, there is something unique which happens and it is the possibility of this little seat of the divine, something, some possibility of the infinite, to become conscious of its divinity, to become conscious of what it is, to become conscious of what has impelled it to assume a form and name. This is a unique possibility given to human beings, us human beings. How much we use it and don't use it, it's a different matter altogether because creation is built uh, at once on the double play of freedom and fate. So the two are deeply intertwined with each other. Physically speaking, we see birth, scientifically so to say, that birth is an extension of the genetic material of the parents, it's an extension and parents themselves genetic material and if we go back further and further and further we can understand that the very first stir of life is still present within us because it's an extension going on life is extending itself and with each extension it improvises so the life in the fish extends into the tortoise the life in the tortoise extends into the reptiles the life of the reptiles extends into the bird and life of the bird into the primates and finally us humans. So there is an extension physically going on and with each extension there is an improvement. I find this particularly interesting this thought because very often we look upon children as somebody whom we have to teach and give and there is a truth in it no doubt about it but at the same time we seldom look upon as children as an improvised version of who we are. We feel that we are the better one and you know every generation feels that today's generation has gone away. But actually it's an improvisation. It's with each extension as we can see in nature these are improvisations. So children today will be better than the children of yesterday and the children of tomorrow will be better than the children of today. Yes, we may not understand how it, it is so, because we all believe that I am the best. So me and my generation, that's it. So when children improve, then we cannot understand that in what way, because they are different. And for us, different means definitely, for most of us, because we have a very egocentric attitude towards life, so different means not good. Only my type, my kind, People who follow the way that I follow is only good. The logic is very absurd, but that's how the logic works. So they are an extension physically. Even physically, there is a, in certain in certain ways, um, human body has become more and more mentalized. Many things are happening, which we shall talk about, maybe depending on the time. Then there is also, man is not just a body, but there is also the psychological side is called as the personality. What is this personality? It is an extension again. You know, the Indian word is Santan. It literally means an extension. 
So personality is an extension of the milieu which includes culture, traditions, not just biology but also the unique psychology of the environment, the society in which we are born, the education we receive, the teachers who come into our life. Countless influences shape our personality. They, we are as if like an extension. Everything has got mixed in and we have become who we are. This is another aspect where we are an extension of the milieu. That is why when we look at a generation and blame it, we should first look at ourselves because something is, you know, we missed out or, you know, they are just spillover of what happens in, in the milieu in general. And this is a whole thought that, you know, when people blame a society for giving birth, rise to many criminals, people say that, well, the society must take a hard look at itself. There is something which is amiss because they are nothing but extensions. They are nothing but projections of who we are deep within. So they are extensions of that. But we are also told that we are also extensions, as it were, of the divine. This is what the Vedas tell us. Now this is the interesting part. So we have at least three components. When a child is born, he has three components. One is the physical, which is an extension formed by the genetic material of the parents. The psychological, which is still in formation, it takes good about 18, 20, 21 years and in some throughout life, there are people who are exceptionally plastic and continue to grow throughout life, which is wonderful. But most become encrusted over uh, after 25 or maybe 20 that I know it all and I, have, I am this, I am that. So uh, there is a personality which is the second dimension of our existence, but there is a third dimension and that is the divine seed, which is hidden behind this personality and the physical um, form. So it can be seen as a, the physical form is the pot and the mud with all its ingredient is the personality and the seed inside is the divine seed. Now this, what is this happening to this seed? Now here comes a very uniquely new thought that Mother and Shubhendra give us which uh, I find it very engaging because um, I have grown up in the tradition where we are told and taught that well, um, there is a soul within and there is a body. Though um, Swami Ramthit gave a very interesting answer when in an audience after his lecture somebody asked him, Sir, you say, you can, you can sit here uh, Pinky, there is no problem. Yeah, you are comfortable? So, you know, when he was asked that, uh, do you mean to say that you have a soul? After an hour of lecture, he said, no, I am not saying that I have a soul. So, what do you mean you don't have a soul? He said, no, I am not saying that either. So what are you saying, sir? He said, I am a soul. I have a body. So there is a totally different outlook towards life. I am a body, I have a soul. Means my identity is determined by my body and my personality. And soul is there by the way. Shubhendra uses a very interesting line in Savitri, a supernumerary on life stage. So we treat the soul like the twelfth man. When we need some water, we call it. When we need some food, drinks, interval, we call it. But actually when we begin to identify that I am the soul and the body and personality are nothing but crust. They are meant to help the soul bring out its divine possibility. Because that is the original purpose of book creation. That is the original purpose of birth. Now obviously things can go otherwise. Because this, in this creation there is a complex play of forces. And the full possibility that is there embedded may not come out in a lifetime. It's possible. A lifetime experience may not completely bring out the divine possibility which is hidden inside. So, nowadays we have a common catchphrase, everyone should have a second chance. I'm forgetting the film in which this phrase was used. Everyone should get a second chance. So the divine has improvised it and says everyone should get a third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, hundred chances, countless chances. And that is the whole logic of rebirth. So rebirth is essentially another chance, another chance. Little by little, little by little, this divine seed is growing. So it's not just about soul which is present always as a witness. Suryo, Yatha, Sarvaloka, Sichakshu, Nalipyate, Chakshushe, Dosha. It's not just about that. It is also that Angusthmatra Purusha which is growing with each life. So there are two aspects, if I may use the word, 
which is too analytical way of speaking, but well, two aspects of the Jivatma, one which always stands above creation, does not enter into this play, does, is neither born nor dies. So it is, uh, you know, if you look from that perspective, one will say there is none born, none dies. None is bound, none is free because the Jivatma in that state is always free, it's not bound. So what is this that experiences the boundedness? Some would say it is the ego self but others, there is another line that no, something of the soul like a ray from the sun enters into this play to support God's work. It, it is its mission to create divinity, it has come with that original impulsion, ekoham bahushyami. So it's come into this play because it, it contains that blueprint. Some aspect of the infinite, it will unfold through process of birth and life and death and rebirth and so on and so forth. And it is this which develops into the psychic being, the chaitya purusha, the one seated in the center of the heart as the kathopanishads refers to or svetashrita is seated in the heart, that Purusha. So essentially when we speak about body or a human being being born, basically it is mostly referring to this psychic being because there is the one who is watching above the Jivatma, that part of the Jivatma. Sri makes uses two terms, the central being and the psychic being. That part which is above, which was always there, like Dwasuparnads, always he is enjoying <laughs> the other fellow is eating the fruit. <laughs> so he's an enjoyer. He, he has no issues. He's he's up above. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other one has entered into the play to manifest something of the divine. And with each birth, it brings in a new possibility. So we can take it like, you know, you know with plasticine, plasticine where you make different forms. So it, you make a form. Now before a form is made, uh, many things you can make. We can make any amount, any number of animal shapes, this shape, that shape. It's a multiple possibility. But then there is something called as intention that I want to make this. Let's say that I want to make out of this plasticine a beautiful flower. Now my hands will begin to need it to make it a flower. And then I'll make a flower and then I would feel it's not perfect really. I missed out. So I'll once again make it and start another flower, another, maybe hundred times and I'll ultimately get the flower that I want. There is something very similar that happens with the cycle of births. At first comes the intention, the idea. Each Jivatma represents an idea force of the divine. Let's take for example knowledge or love or anything one one aspect now its life experiences will begin to mold it into that direction and some of the most contrary experiences we were talking yesterday about love and somebody had a very interesting question and um, that you know if if uh, there will be some expectation and and someone else said uh, if there is expectation it's not unconditional now look, look at it this way. If, let's say, I want to manifest divine love, eventually through many births. So what kind of experiences will I have? How will I be molded, shaped? I will have to meet with the most contrary challenges. Just the very opposite. You want to express divine love? Okay you will have everybody who will be unloving towards you because without that we cannot really bring out the possibility of unconditional love. So you see it's it's like that. If, if I want to express knowledge then through lives after lives I will keep on discovering errors after errors because you know I cannot be satisfied with any fixed system till I discover that knowledge is far beyond any framework. Or if I want to manifest let's say strength like Arjuna or Bhima, then all my life I must face opposition of terrible and tremendous powerful enemies. So when we look at it from this point of view, when so-called misfortune befalls us, we will not say how cruel God is, 
<laughs> but we will say, oh misfortune, this should be the aphorism, oh misfortune, blessed art thou, for thou hast shown me the face of my beloved. Because the whole perspective changes. No, it's the shaping God's tremendous touch. The hands that is needing plasticine, probably plasticine will say, I was fine. You cruel monster who is shaping me like this, it's hurting me. Let me sleep. But he will shape. So this is how through births, after births, countless births, eventually something comes which becomes at least a faint resemblance, faint embodiment of some quality of the divine. In India, these beings are called as vibhutis, sometimes even as godlike beings. When they have reached that degree of perfection, it's not yet the ultimate perfection and that's, we'll come to that later. But at least in their inner being, they are able to express something of that quality. So they become vibhutis. And then comes the next step that yes, you can embody this love or light or strength inside, yet you are limited by the instrument. This question Gita raises, but deliberately Sri Krishna doesn't give the full answer. He raises this. It's like a teaser. I would rather say it's like a teaser for his next coming <laughs> as Shravindo. <laughs> that you know, still you will be acting under the three gunas. He says this. Why, why does he have to say this? <laughs> Arjuna has not asked this question. And therefore he, he almost induces us to ask this question. So what about this? Can this change too? He doesn't answer it. He just teases so that mankind can begin to aspire. So Sri says even when we have an inner being which is suffused with the glow of and sweetness of divine love, divine light, still the outer nature, the outer being, the outer personality, the instruments formed by an extension of biological process are not capable to express it. Look at it this way, that you know, a little love, little joy and we jump and we make gestures and we begin to dance, we go crazy, we have tears in our eyes. Imagine if that love, that delight, which is far beyond, were to express through the body, it will break down. Now this is a new process which is going to begin. This is what Shurabindu says, that this is a new cycle where even the body and the personality will begin to become capable of upholding it. Therefore, the inner being itself can hold a lot more. It's not that there, there have, has not been touches or manifestations of divine love and light. Yes, there have been. But there is ultimately limitation which is imposed by the plasticine. It, it is still very hard. It doesn't allow to be shaped easily. So mother did something very interesting to make this process faster. And all this is a bearing because, you know, on childbirth. But we have to understand it now from a different perspective. In 1956, when the supramental consciousness began to manifest, so there was a problem. Nature was saying, now this game is taking place at what level? <laughs> uh, one could write almost a Puranic story on this. Nature says, I don't know, you have brought in something new, this fellow, I don't know, you know, I don't like it. So what happens when a new child goes into a field where already there are 20 players playing? He is looked upon with suspicion. They don't immediately take him. No, no, you stay there. He wants to play. But, you know, they don't take him. Then after some time, what does he do? He begins to pick up the ball when it goes outside boundary and puts it back. I don't know if somebody had this experience or not. I remember it very well. So you do it. After some time, they begin to become friendly. They ask you, okay, where are you from and all this. That's how I learned cricket, literally, as a child. Because all big people were playing, they would not allow me, so I would go and watch. So I'll pick up the ball and literally throw. So after some time, they actually asked me, okay, sir, so, um, okay, um, tell me, where is your house? Okay, there. Okay, you want to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because, you know, they also need somebody like a paya to run around. Okay, fine. So they started giving me to bat and bowl, and that's how, you know, one starts. So what mother did, you know, this is a very old technique. But she improvised upon it. So the nature says, no, 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 let this new consciousness be there where it is. I'll continue with my play. Now this is a very difficult situation because if nature does not collaborate, it's very difficult. 
but she will continue to form bodies and minds the way it has been doing so far it will not accept the new substance even if our soul accepts so mother started playing with nature and playing with nature she started introducing this new substance and suddenly nature saw and felt wow this is wonderful this is making the play even better i enjoy it okay fine i accept the new substance i am ready to collaborate in 1958 mother gave a message new year message and she describes how this message came to her she says oh material nature thou hast agreed consented to collaborate and there is no limit to thy collaboration once she accepts it then there is no limit then mother was asked what does it mean she said up till now soul fine new consciousness fine but not my play is my play from 58 onwards once she accepted something of this new substance is like a little chip being introduced into the child at the very moment of birth it is not not about the soul or the psychic being it's the very body which is being formed contains a touch of this new substance which is leading to strange results as i was mentioning at the very beginning for example the distinction between man and a woman is getting blurred mind you even physically very interesting it's part of the process even you know in the air force earlier we had no in cockpit you have to have certain height because if you are too high you cannot find place in the cockpit and therefore you uh, you can't be selected but there were very few people who touched that ceiling then they discovered now more and more people are growing taller and taller i'm giving a very physical example even girls taller and taller what what do we do about it so you know now they have to adjust the whole design because things are changing physically strength wise in every way so now we have a double problem on one side because of the new consciousness now children are more and more ready they are arriving and in a long process of rebirth they become more and more individualized the the psychic spark which was within them is becoming more and more into a being there is a difference between a psychic essence and a psychic being it is becoming individualized so now it is ready to express something of the divine it needs space it needs more room to grow it cannot remain in that small little pot it has to be repotted and that's why children nowadays want more space more freedom because without that you cannot all growth depends upon that at the same time the very body and its constitution is beginning to change leading to a new dimension of our evolution and the mother in 1912 much before all this happened 56 and before she came to pondicherry she gave a talk to the women and she says that you must know now that nature is stirring to give birth to a new type and one sign of it is when a new type has to come the old measures the old values begin to break and all who belong to a certain generation begin to become very dissatisfied with the way of life in which the old generation was living they don't know the cause they will give 100 causes but they are very dissatisfied see if you go to england or europe many of the churches are you know closing down they are being turned into um, kalyan mandapams we are smart people we already have the two as one one of the common problems that parents come with ah, our child is not religious so if i tell them very good he is he has a chance to become spiritual so many of them don't understand what is it what do you mean he should be religious by religious they mean he must follow the traditions he must do this believe in a particular scripture must have read this but when you say it's good because he has a chance to become spiritual otherwise he was contained within the framework of religious formulas is a chance of going beyond all formal religions they are going away even the hardest ones which are holding by the power of the sword will go away because it's the verdict of time you can't for long you cannot delay the evolutionary impulsion but it's creating a big challenge for the parents which means now parents have to grow now we have to grow because it's a new journey which has started 
And where does this process starts? Not after marriage. That's already too late. It starts much before that. The whole understanding of life has to change. It doesn't happen. Very often we say that, you know, well, this will start after marriage. Okay, now there is a new being. We'll get together. It, it doesn't work out like that. If our life has been centered around ego and desire for a long time, suddenly things are not going to change. Though it is true that the coming of a child does create a lot of changes within parents. They, they have to grow a lot whether they like it or not. Child is indeed one of the best teachers of the parents. Patience they will learn, perseverance they will learn, unconditional love they will learn, all kinds of things they will learn. And they will also learn that there is something I don't know. It is only the child who has the courage to tell the parents, you don't know. Otherwise, everybody after 25 believes, I know it. Those who don't know, I can just keep away from me. But when a child says, you don't know, so what do you do? <laughs> you, you can't say, you stay away. He's not a relative or, you know, some friend, you start staying away. I don't know. Yes, you don't know. So we have to learn. So he's one of the best. He teaches us the lesson of humility. But that apart, it means a lot of preparation. Parents have to undergo a lot of preparation for these kind of children. Mother said, especially after 56, 60, these children are going to come. And she added that it will be very difficult for parents to bring them up. There is a whole passage in Savitri about these new children. I saw the omnipotence flaming pioneers come cry, crowding down the ember stairs of birth. Crossing the path of the morning star they came. It's a very amazing description of these children who are, you know, going to come. Ember stairs of birth. Faces that were still lit with the glory of the soul. Bodies made beautiful by the spirit's light. Even the body he speaks about. It's a different kind of a uh, physical. Something else will come and get added to it. Lips chanting an unknown anthem of the soul. High priest of wisdom beauty and bliss and swimmers in love's laughing fairy love's laughing fire that swimmers their tread one day shall change the suffering earth and justify the light on nature's face their mere presence and every every family it started with few families here and now every family you see the common refrain parents will come wait for the child you know what they are discussing all the problems my child doesn't eat, my child doesn't listen, my child watches TV, my child is on Facebook, all of them. It gives a relief because they know it's not only my child, everybody's child. They're broken free. And you try to tell them something, you, you will we'll figure out. <laughs> they don't need career counseling from parents or others. We still try to force it into them. But they, they are chalking their own path and this is just a not even 30-40 years. God knows another 50 years down the line. What he, Because evolution is exponential. It progresses by a geometric progression. So this is going to happen with time to come. And we as parents have to really realize. So where do we start the process? At least the moment. Wherever we are. There is no, nothing like wait for the conception and then let me start. No, wherever we are. We are dealing with children, we are dealing with ourselves, we are dealing with the world, we are dealing with society. Let's reorient ourselves to this new consciousness, to this new way of life. If you ask somebody, what is this new way? For God's sake, there is no formula about it. That's the new way. If you have a formula, it's religion. If you have a formula, it's a social structure. It's still being discovered. It will evolve and it will be too plastic and white to be fixed into a system. That's one of the challenges people have when they come to Shurabindu Ashram. Some of the people who don't know, they have an image of Ashram. I don't know if some of you have come for the first time. I know for sure that some of my students have. So they come with an image of Ashram. Of course, people may have briefed you already, isn't it? Otherwise, ashram means there would be some Swamiji's in, you know, ochre clothes or 
white clothes and some people will give jnana with some vedas ved mantras upanishadic mantras etc etc you will be taught certain things maybe somebody will catch you and teach you about shurbindo's yoga and try to convert you with evangelistic fervor that he is the best nobody does that you have to figure out yourself it's your life you have to discover one person's best need not be everybody so all these narrow boundaries in which you know we had kibind ourselves or with yoga we think meditation so many people ask sir how do you meditate sir tell me how to meditate so i put a counter poser what do you mean why do you want to meditate now this is something which one has never taught thought why do you want to meditate nahi sir it is good acha lagta hai i said you don't have to meditate to feel good lots of things will make you feel good <laughs> no no but still uh, spiritual life spiritual life what is that got to do with meditation meditation is one means the countless means spiritual life is about a thirst about an aspiration deep within then people immediately connect yes yes that's that i understand <laughs> meditation is more of a process something external but when you say do you have a thirst this need this aspiration for something more beautiful more true more nobler more divine yes yes that i feel so you are in already initiated so times are changing and you know we need to understand that nowadays children are lot more awake than we think them to be so we have to start we have to start from god knows where the whole mind has been cluttered inner space cluttered with all kinds of ideas beliefs god knows what from generations and generations and i had a tough time as a child when i would ask some pandit ji some questions and after a while he would eventually say too much uh, discussions uh, you do you sit quiet you should not talk to elders like this so that was the end of my discussion what does a 7 year old do when he has a question the question used to be one of the questions was you know in 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 hindu religion lot of vratas fasting and all this in every religion there are fastings so i said which scripture writes about fasting i wanted to know a very simple thing nothing very complicated abstract metaphysical no no you are asking too many questions because in the gita all that i had understood was that don't go into extremes so according to me fasting depriving yourself of food is an extreme so if the gita doesn't advocate fasting then who advocates fasting i am giving you a very simple example or you know all kinds of things that you see in customs traditions when you ask questions the reason is that all of these had a no doubt a meaning long long back and they they had their own purpose nobody can deny that part but the time has come now to overleap it and that's where mankind is facing the real challenge like yesterday we were saying when the time comes to go beyond your comfort zone into the next level it's difficult because it's a new challenge and this challenge is at many levels this challenge is at our belief systems this challenge is at our heart this challenging to our very body now it's a big challenge to our bodies we used to live in mohallas so you know you don't much change even the water of the well is the same which you are drinking and first time for me from a village to travel all the way to afmc pune was a different world altogether my god people wear such dresses they talk like this and you know it was not enough to know good english or get selected <laughs> it's a whole new culture you have to adapt to and then now when i travel all across the world i just wonder you know how the body adapts it's amazing i one cannot imagine what kind of forces are now making this body lot more plastic time zones change everything changes and very bacterial flora changes how how is it happening so it's a new world in which we are living in where from all sides there are forces of immense magnitude most of which we don't even understand which are shaping us and our task as parents educators or anybody what the play to help that little seed to blossom that should be our focus in child development that seed and this cannot be if i think my child is meant for me he is like my personal property he'll grow up and buy me a car which i could buy by my own 
money or he'll grow up and uh, you know ultimately go abroad and take me also i always wanted to travel in <laughs> and see america he will he's the one then it won't work up or maybe he's a boy he'll get married get me a bride who will look after all my after all my hands are becoming i am tired now this lady will come and she'll become the new servant of the house it won't work it, none of these things are going to work i have to only focus on this that there is a divine seed divine possibility i have to identify it that itself is a big thing the gita gives us several clues swadharma it is the first clue in man of the divine becoming and if we touch it the rest will become easy we don't know even our swadharma we have lost it in job and degrees because swadharma means okay whatever duty is a strangest word duty most ill defined word a word which has caused so much confusion who fixes the duty so duty duty is not swadharma swadharma is something ingrained in built within us so when we touch it then we become aware of that seed what direction it's blossoming and therefore it must go through those experiences it's not about job it has to be trained it has to be helped to blossom in that way i have to provide the right kind of soil the environment the you know the water the space for that to blossom and it cannot if i put all my ego ideas and want the child to be another replica of myself it won't be worth the trouble cloning is ultimately just a carbon copy so these are some of the thoughts these are children entirely um, as i said birth is ultimately in its last analysis an assumption a divine assumption an assumption of the divine seed of a body and a personality that is the secret truth and when does this assumption or we use a word which i am not very fond of ensoulment or embodiment when does it begin there is an occult side to it the mother explains that it starts with the idea hovering in the mind of the parents and the soul begins to hone in it has its own means of knowing it's not through words and conversation that's our very imperfect mode of knowing it kind of sees a light okay here i should go for the kind of experiences i need and it picks up it's it's not always an accurate thing it's not mathematical thankfully this world has not been made with mathematical perfection and precision otherwise it wouldn't have been worth the trouble we would have lost the wonder and charm of it so there are accidents <laughs> all kinds of things and they're allowed why they're allowed it's a new kind of challenge you know all good trainers they don't uh, tell you everything about what's going to happen because life is not always according to our plan though we all like to make plans new things may come up unexpected departures may take place but everything will make us grow if we know why i am here then everything makes us grow so so in life there is always a not just some scope but lot of scope of the unexpected and i feel it's very good a predictable life is a boring life you know what's going to happen you know what's you know it's it's not worth not joy it's like a fixed match who likes to play a fixed match i must play a match where there is a real opponent not that on third ball i have to hit a six and fifth i have to be out because somebody else is uh, you know has put the stakes no i want to play a real match there is a joy and delight in that so there there are accidents even in birth it's not always that we get into the it's not right parents i mean as the soul has wanted not right and wrong which are purely mental terms but it comes in then starts the adventure through all kinds of things obviously in one life it doesn't happen but still something it something develops something grows unfortunately lot of mud and little bit it soaks and absorbs till it reaches a point where it's ready to express itself more and more directly and clearly then that as it grows more and more the task of the parents and teachers becomes minimal if parents and teachers have to struggle a lot that means the child is not yet that seed is not fully developed when it develops then a word is enough as it is said of shri krishna that a word from the rishi gorava is enough to open the 
doors to Brahman realization. Same we hear about, you know, King Janak. He, he is looking for a guru who can, he is a busy man, he is a king, who can teach him Brahmagyan in that much time as you take to straddle a horse and climb over it because that's the time when he can hear. <laughs> he doesn't have time. He's a king. So somebody is straddling and then he has to climb that much time. So Astavakri says, I can give you that. That's how, you know, they were beings like that. Now because he's developed, he's developed to a point where just one touch is enough. The master stroke. Everything is laid, you just pick up the scissor and just a little pruning and yes, lovely ikebana. So this, but that level goes through all this background of a journey. And at different points, we'll engage with the seeds of the future or the seeds of the past, whichever way we want to look at it. Or rather the seeds, ancient of the ancient, which is time for blossoming has come. This what this our Shubindu gives us hope that the time for the blossoming has come. And therefore we have to engage with it in a very different way. And the worst is to project my own ideas, my own ambitions, my own egos onto the child. Rather to consciously aspire a child, not for my job. Parents ask a child and that's where the problem starts. Oh, if he is a son, he will grow up and earn more money for me. This is a most horrible. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's something... So dark, it's not even worth commenting about. And we call it something very nice, great. It's far from great, it's ugly to ask a child to look after my needs. So what do we ask a child for? We aspire that if, as a mother, as a father, if I have a role in this becoming, some child who can, whom I can help transit through me, towards its own blossoming. So I become just a conduit, a trustee, just a housekeeper, not the owner of the child, but just a guardian. We are all guardians. And the corollary also is that none is an orphan. None is an orphan. Everybody has with him that who is the original parent. We are all trustees, we are all hands through which things pass, people pass and while they are with us we must do our best and do our best is only to allow the blossoming of the divine nature which is inbuilt and programmed within the child. Which means first we must upgrade ourselves, we must first get in touch with the divine nature, we must understand not just intellectually but in our very bones what this divine nature is, how this divine blossoming takes place then and then only we can help the child. So this is in brief. Rest are incidental details like when does the soul actually enter the body? Well, it may not enter a whole lifetime. It may only influence it in the early stages of birth. The body cannot hold that spark. So it remains at a distance. Never gets fully connected. But touches here and there. But after a certain degree of evolution, yes, maybe 7 years, maybe 14 years. When does it pick up a body? Maybe around 5th or 6th months. Before that it doesn't because it's just a mass of flesh inside. So abortion has a spiritual sanction to it. Then after a while it hones in. But it doesn't necessarily enter. Entry is much later. What about those who are marked for spiritual life? Before the age of 14-15, they will get some touch, some glimpse, some indication. One way or the other. That, that's like a divine moment. And then yes, the rest will be an unfolding. And finally, the last act that parents and educators must do, very difficult. But often people ask when they have lost their loved one. They are going through distress. So I ask this question. You are in distress for the one who has departed. 
or for yourself? The answer is obvious. The one who has departed is at peace for ourselves. Then I ask a second question. You loved him for sure, isn't it? Yes, very much. So what is the last act of love? What is the last act of love? Set the person free. If you cannot set the person free, something is still missing. When children grow up, this should be the last avuti of love in the yagna of child upbringing. Set the child free. He must go through his own experience. You are there if he needs you. Like a present, like the divine is there when we call him. He doesn't start interfering, do this, do that. Some people expect the divine or want him to start dictating. He's not a dictator like that. He's a presence, a benevolent, all-powerful presence. That confidence the child must have. He's there. That's it. But not like, do this, don't do this, pick up the job, pick up that. No. So with these thoughts, I'll stop. Let's ask if any observations, reflections, sharing or questions. Yes, please. things I'll touch upon. First is, if we have to ask love and respect and it is given when we have asked, it is no more love and respect. It is something which should flow naturally. If you give love and respect and care, most people, I believe, are conscious enough to respond. I don't need to ask. At the same time, I should not depend. I am entering that age, I am 57, I am a parent, soon I will be. I feel it's miserable if I have to depend on my son to, you know, take care of me. I, I, I don't want that. I want to be independent. Why not? So parents have to upgrade themselves. It's not, it's not like, we'll come to the duty aspect. But why not? And I am telling you, the day parents begin to live that life, New ways, institutions, forms will evolve. And it is also reality check. See, the fact is that most children nowadays will move away. Okay. So, ultimately, who is the one who will take care of you, the man next door? Whoever that person be. And will depend upon your personal relations with everybody else. So, if you are a radiant, uh, if you radiate love and kindness and take care of everyone... Why, why won't people take care? I mean, when your time comes, you don't have to wait for your child to fly all the way from US to, you know, come and take care of you. Probably he'll be more lost. He won't know anything about anyone. So, this is one part of it. But coming to something more intrinsic, which you mentioned about duty. Duty itself is at several layers. Now, let's say, let me give a poser that, yes, we should take care of our parent. Now, think about... Uh, recently, yesterday's incident we can take up. Uh, must have read about it or heard about it. Uh, Muhammad Ayyub, the DSP in Pulwama, Kashmir. So he was on duty outside a mosque and he was lynched and beaten and thrown into a garbage dump. Now, you see, the irony of it is that his daughter had come all the way from Bangladesh. She's studying medicine to uh, celebrate Eid with her father. And what does she find? You know, it's a heart-rending situation. Now, what should Muhammad Ayyub would have done? Some of his colleagues who were supposed to, I mean, equally in police, who were supposed to be with him, they ran away to their homes. What should Muhammad Ayyub should have done? Gone home 
because he has a wife and child, has stood his guard, his post. Answer is obvious. So duty is a hierarchy. Of course, there is a duty I have towards all caretakers, not only towards, I mean, any child who grows up with the right ingredients will understand it. Towards not only parents, teachers and towards society in general because it has given me something. But there is a still greater duty. The soldier who stands guard on the battlefield foregoes his duty towards his wife and child for the moment and makes sure that people don't enter who may ransack other families and their effect be devastated. So there is a hierarchy. Then you can go still further. There is a larger duty towards maybe whole of humanity. Therefore, Buddha leaves his wife and child sleeping at home to fulfill a still greater duty. Therefore, Arjuna must fight those whom he loves, whom he has played with for the fulfillment of a greater dharma. So, parents, yes. But what if parents expect you to stifle your own soul's growth at the expense of their own physical you know, care? What if they ask you, I am taking an extreme example, to crush your inner being and amass money. They don't say that in so many words. But if you expect the child to make a lot of money and be, you know, then it's, it's implied. To, so that he can look after them in old age. What should we do? I think the call of one's soul is the highest priority. If it is not at the expense and if it is a natural flow, yes, definitely. Nobody says that. But duty towards the divine, duty towards even humanity at large, duty towards the larger movement of society, what is called as the march of civilization, the Gita uses the word, Lok Sangrahat, is far greater than the much limited duty towards parents. So, what has happened unfortunately you know, it has been turned almost into something sacred. What? Imagine all the soldiers on the battlefield. They suddenly realize that, no, 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 my wife must be suffering. And I am telling you with a direct experience. I have been with the military, I have in the Air Force, I have been in CH in Glacier, and I know what conditions are there. Shelling is going on all around. It's easy to sit far away and think. But I really wonder. And they all have their families. I mean, we have discussed all this while having pakodas and tea in the bunker when shelling is going on. I'm telling you real thing, you know, which it's not... And people are discussing what's your son doing and what's, you know, how's your wife. But they're not, uh, you know, oh, he's appearing for exam. They don't even have a letter. Because, you know, letters will come depending on weather. They don't even have a letter to know how's he faring in the exam. And everybody, and it's not only the soldiers. Whether it's a doctor, even a politician, look at some of our, I mean, at least I know about the Honorable Prime Minister. How much he has to sacrifice for the sake of, you know, thinking about the country and what's going on all the time. It's amazing. Imagine if he says, no, no, I must take care of my family members. He has a mother, he has a brother, he has his own wife. What life would be? So, duty towards parents is fine, but it's only one small little thing. You should keep it in its place. And not make it as the most sacred thing of all. That's all. Yes. I'm, I'm concerned about the technological advances that are taking place and the conflict that, that occurs when thinking becomes uh, diminished. Um, how do you deal with that in terms of both the soul and spirituality when you think of the upcoming generations? True. Actually, yeah, this this whole uh, debate going on, every technological advance is a biological amputation. That's all psychological amputation. It's true. But also, you know, there is the other side of it. There is also the, um, you know, if we take it very impersonally, because I've been involved in this kind of a problem. There is also an advantage in the sense certain other faculties are developing. Like, you know, we cannot compute as fast as, you know, some of our parents or grandparents who learned the tables, uh, you know, very interesting, I don't know, <laughs> I'm reminded of um, the table of 15 and they had learned it through poetry 
or nine through poetry. There is a joy and charm in it. And so nowadays, you know, they need a calculator. That's a common example. But at the same time, their mind has begun to work a lot more faster, lot with lot more precision. They can handle very complex data at a very quick. So at another level, there is also an evolution going on of the mind. Agreed that you know uh, one has to be very careful. It's not about just the faculties. If it is faculties, then the argument can be there is also a development taking place. But what is dangerous and the real danger is that um, in this process of uh, too much of technology, uh, we shouldn't lose touch with the inner being, which is what you know is the real danger. Where when the famous poet has said, "We have no time to stand and stare," and it's true. So, what is the solution? Solution is not going back to a non-technological day. Solution is to focus also on the inner growth, which should be commensurate with technological advance. We cannot reverse the cycle of time, and possibility is coming to spur it. Sometimes extreme situations are given to us so that we realize the importance of what we are missing. See, when we had time to stand and stare, what did we really do? We didn't become Shelley or kids. We just wild away, you know. I mean, all of us. So now, when this is happening and there is so much pressure from every side, suddenly we are thinking, "Oh, children have no time to even, you know, look inside and think about themselves." So we'll do something about it. Now these pressures are coming to eventually uh, create an explosion from within of a new line of evolution. Technology can't be undone, but we can become more conscious in dealing with it. Ultimately, it will have its Good side, and that—that's the last part about it. See, whenever a new thing comes, whether it be science or technology or or a new light, also mankind first seizes it very imperfectly, like a slave. But slowly, it learns how to handle it and becomes its master. Take the example of the first uh, internet community which came. If I am not mistaken, it was probably Orkut. Now it has, you know, gone out of uh, because of problems which came in. And every parent was very worried. Oh my God! Now internet chatting. God knows whom they are talking to and what they are doing. Then came Facebook. Now Facebook has become a way of life. Lots of beautiful things come on Facebook. Lots of children now don't even go. They are already sick and tired and bored. So they have a Facebook page, but it's like <laughs> hardly they visit it because it's okay. They have played with the game. So eventually, because the soul within man is greater than all this. So feed it, feed it, feed it. that it becomes so strong that it becomes master of the challenge it's a challenge but the only way is that because the other part that people use is to cut down like you know their families who say no television no computer that won't work that will be a retrogressive step we have to accept the challenge and make the inner being a man stronger than all that is around same thing with flight when first flight came into existence there were similar questions the first steam engine was rolled out and james watts everybody said oh he is going to make a fool of himself wilbur wright's father he didn't believe that man can fly he said my son is gone crazy so it is bound to come we cannot turn the reverse the cycle let it come let us grow and that only means that there is a pressure for the evolutionary crisis and i'm sure we'll be able to handle i trust that man has something divine in him we can handle so uh, can we see it in other way also like, like for the soul body and the emotional body and the mind is a tool so again the technology also becomes a tool exactly so that's that's precisely what yes technology will become a tool so because from the soul point of view everything else is a tool yes yes so, and it will also grow you see as i said now so many things are so readily available on a click button many times at least on facebook i see so many beautiful things images lovely things which come and ultimately man will learn to use it in the like cinema when it came boys used to become girls and <laughs> famous movie harishchand taramati you know taramati was a boy who had become the queen now you know we have come a long way now cinema can become a wonderful tool of course there is the flip side that there is you know not there the all kinds of cinema but man has to learn to discriminate and grow and through this is power of discrimination will develop i quite agree and this is a just a beginning of technology what's going to come we cannot imagine you know when we have already on the skin computers are coming up 
you don't need a pc or laptop you know uh, god knows what they will do when you screen at the airport because you can't take off a portion and put it <laughs> it's all on the skin intuitive computers are coming up which is one example of uh, interface of technology with your inner being that man is becoming intuitivized somebody is already forcing thought reading machines are coming up another 20 years we'll have thought reading machines then pushpak viman will look so real <laughs> with a thought you can fly so you'll it will push you towards thought mastery actually ancient viman shastra talks about it that to be a pilot bharadwaj rishi's viman shastra to be a pilot you have to be fully master of your own thought now it looks very strange most pilots today will say ah this is all geek but well if you have aircrafts tomorrow which fly with the power of thought you need to be a master of thought you can't non qualify so it's very interesting uh, the interface essentially we shouldn't be scared of any challenge that nature poses to us okay so nothing else we can say goodbye we meet again thank you